I'm really excited about this podcast, not only because it's the first one we have where we're able to welcome a guest for an interview, but also because we're dealing with beekeeping, and that's something both of us have always found fascinating. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of August 15th, 2013. Uh, as you said in your opening statement, we are thrilled to be trying something new, which is to welcome an interviewee who can take the entire podcast to tell us about a subject of interest in depth. And this is a person who's very expert on the subject. We're going to be talking to Jim Davis, who is a natural beekeeper. And I might add, as of yesterday, he is a master gardener in the Central Alabama Master Gardeners um, Association. So uh, we welcome Jim to talk to us today about natural beekeeping. Tell us what a natural beekeeper is and how is that different from a conventional beekeeper? A natural beekeeper use, uses non-chemical means to treat or to raise his bees. Uh, with all the disease and pests that are out there today, a lot of companies are in business to sell their chemicals to theoretically improve the success of a hive. But a natural beekeeper uses either old-time methods or uses the strength of the honeybee itself to fight off diseases and pests. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to make sure that you have a strong beehive. A but strong of course hive. your bees are eating what other people's bees are eating. They, you don't control where they go to forage, I guess. That's correct. And that's the reason there aren't any organic beekeepers in the United States. A typical bee flies two miles, a two-mile radius to gather their forage on a typical day. If there's not forage within two miles, they'll go four miles. And if there's not within four miles, they'll go eight miles. So we're really, literally talking thousands of acres that a bee can cover. How long does it take a bee to fly eight miles? <laughs> They're pretty quick. <laughs> I don't have an exact number, but a bee can easily be out of the hive two or three hours to generate the amount of pollen that they can pack on their pollen sacks or to generate the amount of nectar they need before they return home. And they're really amazing because they typically send out scouts in the morning. The scouts go find where the nectar is, where the pollen is, and then they come back and do a dance, which allows all the other bees to know where they need to go. And it's primarily based on the location of the sun. And they use the sun to navigate to the, uh, to the food source. That's why one hive may have bees going north and one hive may have bees going south. That's where the scouts went and that's where they felt the best nectar or pollen was available. Really amazing how they can navigate, which is a, another reason why bees a lot of times stay in their hives if it's not a sunny day because they have a tough time navigating if they don't have that sun available. Even though they have ultraviolet vision and they can see through the clouds, it's just not as productive if it's a nice sunny day. And with the kind of weather we've been having lately, have you noticed a difference in your bees' performance? I have. I've noticed that they stay around the hive a lot more. Uh, it's also hot during the day, 
And the bees are another amazing characteristic. They can maintain the exact temperature in that hive 12 months a year. 98 degrees, 97 degrees is what they maintain. And when it's 100 degrees outside, they're actually putting on the air conditioning. They're kicking out enough bees to just get the body temperature where it needs to be, and then the rest of them are just beating their wings, just like an air conditioning. And when you go in your hive, you can actually feel that coolness. It's really amazing when it's a hot day. You can feel the coolness coming out of it. Or if it's really cool, you can feel the heat. That's so how did you learn all this? Did you go to beekeeping you? Well, when we first moved out to our farm, we were, our thoughts were we're going to be organic gardeners. And we quickly realized we didn't have enough pollinators to do what we wanted to do. There were no honeybees. There were just wasps, bumblebees. And we knew we could do better if we had a hive of bees. So we did like most people do nowadays. We got on the internet and, okay, let's research honeybees. Let's research organic honeybees because we're organic farmers. We quickly realized there weren't organic farmer, organic honeybee producers or raisers, but there are natural beekeepers. And we were lucky enough to find one just north of Atlanta who is an old-time beekeeper. He knew the old ways, and he's a really a natural beekeeper. We actually started out in L.A. with a group called Backward Beekeeping, and they referred us to Don Kukemeister over in Lula, Georgia, as the gentleman they felt was the most natural beekeeper east of the Mississippi. And I spent a year traveling over there a couple of times a month for two or three days, and Don is excellent at teaching you how to become a natural beekeeper because you do all the work. Uh, it's really a working environment where he sits down and says, okay, we're going to go do a split. Now, here's what you need to do. Now, go out there and do a split. And he's right there beside you, and you just, as he says, if you're going to kill the queen, you're going to kill my queen and not kill your queen because you're going to learn, have all your mistakes here with me. So he's just an excellent teacher, even though he's just a real good old country boy. So it sounds as if it's really important to have hands-on experience and a mentor. It really is. It's almost impossible just to pick up a book and learn how to be a beekeeper and then go out and do it. The first thing is you have the fear of just getting in the bees, a natural fear. Everybody's scared of getting stung. But if you wear the correct protection and you have the confidence that you're not going to get stung, the bees realize that. If the bees fear the fear coming off your body, they're going to swarm. They're going to not swarm. They're going to put up their defenses and try to run you out of the bee yard. They, but if you're nice and calm and you work your bees on a regular schedule, they're used to you interacting with them, and they're a lot, a lot friendlier than if you don't. Of course, a bee is a bee, and I may be walking across the bee yard just minding my own business, and one may just come up and, for whatever reason, pop me on the neck. But being a beekeeper, you get enough of that that it's no big deal. So you get used to it after a while. You get used to it. And, uh, of course, if you know you're allergic to bee stings, you don't need to be in the beekeeping business, bottom line. And just because I'm not allergic to bee stings today doesn't mean in a year or a month or ten years I may become allergic to them. People just, that's just how it is. Uh, some old-time beekeepers, for whatever reason, become allergic to them after, after years. But... If you know the steps to take, if you do become allergic, again, it's just another concern. Just like driving a car, you can have a wreck. You know what to do if you, do, you don't dwell on it. 
but you know what action to take if it does happen. You mentioned wearing the proper apparel. Correct. How Could you describe, I mean, everybody has seen, I think, a beekeeper suit, but yes. is that the only uh, option? Are there other ways that uh, one should dress or not dress? There's other options. I always recommend that you have at least a veil to cover your face because you don't want to get stung in the eye. You could possibly lose your eye. So I always recommend wearing a veil. From there, it's all a matter of personal preference. You see a lot of old-time beekeepers that don't wear anything, including a veil. My instructor over in Georgia never doesn't own a veil, doesn't own anything. Uh, but his bees are used to people working with them, and I know enough now not to be afraid over there or to smash a bee. If you smash a bee, then they put out the signal that someone is smashing bees, so let's get, get rid of that guy. But I don't recommend that until you really are experienced. I recommend when you start out having a least long sleeve shirt on, not tight fitting but loose fitting, and a pair of gloves because you're going to be in the beehive removing frames, be in contact with bees, and a pair of long pants that typically would go down over a set of boots or high top shoes with an elastic band around those. And once you're to that, to that level, there's literally no way for a bee to get in your bee seat or in your, in your get-up. And that just gives you the confidence that after a period of time, you'll say, well, I'd rather be a little bit more comfortable because I'm willing to take a little bit more risk because I know how to handle my bees. It maybe shed your you know, long your straps around your boots, or maybe you want to shed your gloves. A lot of people, the first th action they take is not to wear gloves. So if I decide I want to become a beekeeper, how much am I talking about paying, Jim, and how much time commitment do I need to be prepared to make? There are two ways that nowadays we purchase bees. We purchase either a package of bees, which is simply a screen in box with either two or three pounds of bees, we're talking six to eight, six to ten thousand bees, and a queen that has proven to be a laying queen, one that's already mated. That's the first method, and a lot of people use that method. Uh, and a cost of a package of bees is anywhere from seventy-five dollars to one hundred and five dollars, typically in the southeast part of the United States. The second option of, as far as purchasing bees, would be to purchase a nucleus of bees. We call it a nuke. And a nuke is a miniature beehive. It has a laying queen with her own worker bees and drones in that box. She's already laying. There's already brood and eggs in the box. And typically there's pollen and honey stores already in the hive. And typically that's a five frames worth of brood, honey, and pollen in that box. And the cost of a nuke is anywhere from a hundred $30 maybe up to $190. So it's not cheap getting into to the honeybee business. Of course, there's always the option of catching a swarm of bees. If you're successful at doing that, you got them for free. But usually <laughs> that's not the approach that the beginner is going to want to take. Uh, when you typically hear a swarm of bees, you think of an Africanized bee coming towards you, it is just swarming your body. But that's totally inaccurate. And a swarm of bees is really a gentle group of bees that have clustered together until they can make a decision of where they're going to go to make their permanent residence. Now, you've described the cost of the bees, but I guess you also have to buy the box, the hive. Correct. You have to have a brood box. 
you have to have the frames which the bees draw the, the uh, honeycomb out on. You have to have a top cover and a bottom board of some type. And as you progress during the season, you need to have what we call honey supers for the bees to collect honey that you would typically rob or take from the bees during the year. A complete hive, which would have two bottom boards, maybe two supers, a bottom and a top and a feeder, we're looking in the area of $150 to $200. So it and sounds there, like we're probably talking five to $600. If you throw in the cost cash. of your protective gear, there's some tools you need. You need a smoker. We've all seen smoking the honeybees. There are some little tools to be able to manipulate the frames because the honeybees actually weatherproof your hive with propolis, which is really a glue, and you have to actually pry that thing apart to be able to get into your beehive. So you have to have the correct tools for that. So an area of four to five hundred dollars is a is a good good number. Time commitment. I recommend a new beekeeper be willing to get into their beehive at least once every 10 days to two weeks. And probably no more than 30 minutes at a time is the most you need to stress your bees, even if you're nice and gentle. It's still a stressful time if somebody is in the beehive. So you're looking maybe 30 minutes to an hour every couple of weeks if you have one or two beehives. But the problem that most people run into is that that's a very little time, but it's people's daily chores and life goes on it's hard to find that at one hour that you're going to go out there get on a bee suit maybe it's hot and spend time with your bees so a lot of people don't even though they're willing to put in an hour every couple of weeks in reality that doesn't always happen and that's when they generate problems with your bees and it seems to me i remember you're telling me once that the time of day when you need to be working the bees is in the heat of the day, that's not the, in the early morning or the late afternoon. That's correct. When you're working your bees just to go through and looking for problems, typically you want to do that between 10 and 2 o'clock uh, during the day when the, when the heat, when the sun is up, because then the majority of the foraging bees are away from the hive. And it's easier to work your hive the fewer bees that you have in there realizing that a strong hive would have fifty to 60,000 bees in it, and that's a lot of bees that you're sorting through that are up in the air that are flying. Now, if you're doing something like taking the honey, uh, you know the bees are going to be aggravated no matter what. Uh, I Typically, when I'm taking my honey, I start at 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'll run it um, the majority of the day because it takes that long to get all my honey out. Uh but if you only have a couple of hives, it should take more than an hour or so to, t- to take your honey. And I'd recommend you do that when it's cool. Well, if someone wanted to get into the bee business or just do it as a hobby, what would you recommend the steps be that they take to get into it? First of all, they need to do the research. Listen to other people that have got into the honey bee business and see if it's something they really want to commit to. Now you're committing to helping that hive survive. And in today's environment, that's not an easy thing. You can't, in the old days, you hear people talking about they had bees in the woods and they wouldn't cut down the tree and this and that. Those days are long past. We are now beekeepers and not just have had the honeybees. Uh, second of all, as you mentioned, you need to either join a bee club 
in most all cities or in close proximity to a bee club where you have a lot of resources from anywhere from experience to someone at your exact level. And if you can hook up with a local beekeeper that's in your area that is willing to let you go through his hives with him and learn the business from him or to come to your place and show you things about the hives, it makes it a lot easier. And all these mistakes that he may have made in the past, he can share with you those mistakes. Realize that every beekeeper does things different. If you have a mentor this year and you have a different one next year, you may learn something totally new. But as a beekeeper, you have the luxury of deciding for yourself how you want to manage your bees and what approach you want to take. Do you want to be a natural beekeeper or do you want to use the chemicals on the market to raise your bees? It's up to you. Tell us a little bit about colony collapse disorder and how that's affecting you in your work, Jim. Colony collapse disorder was termed back in the 2007 and 2008 when literally 80 to 90 percent of the bees in the United States disappeared. And one of the symptoms of colony collapse disorder is the bees are just no longer there. They're not dead in the box. They're not dead on the ground. They're just gone. And it's still up in the air if what is the cause of colony collapse? There's been hundreds of thousands of dollars of research money spent on that. And I think the general consensus we're coming to, it's a combination of the pesticides and the fungicides that we're using on our crops or in our gardens or in our flower beds that are contributing to, to this. Do I worry about colony collapse disorder? I do. Do I lose a lot of highs because of it? No. I usually lose between 1% and 2% of my hives during the year. Typically, on any given year, even without colony collapse disorder, 30 to 40% of the beehives die during the year. And I contribute to that to the natural beekeeping approach. Once a chemical gets into a beehive, it gets into the wax. And there's no way to remove the chemical from the wax. Therefore, one thing that I didn't mention is I... I produce my own foundation. I use all my wax that came out of my own hives. So even though I don't know what chemicals my neighbors are putting on them, I know for sure what I'm not putting on them. And I think that has to greatly reduce the chemicals in the wax. And if it's in the wax, it's going to be in the bee's body. And unfortunately, you would also think over time it's going to be in the honey that we're all, that we're all eating. Jim Davis natural beekeeper. Thank you so much for visiting with us today. You have kindly offered to allow us to post the information about you on the show notes page. So anyone who wants to reach Jim, go to Longleaf Breeze. And this is podcast number 198. And we'll have all the information about how to get in touch with you. Thank you, Lady Amanda. Thank you so much, Jim. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.